in John chapter 4, verses 1 to 42, which is in page 1052 of the Pew Bibles. I'll give you a minute to find that. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? But Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. 
Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. This is the gospel of Christ. And let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word, and thank you for the opportunity we have again to open it up this week. Father, please continue to speak to us through it uh, and help us uh, to see the things you want us to see this morning. Please uh, please allow none of us to leave here unchanged by it. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there was a very loyal builder, uh, let's call him Bob, and uh, Bob was working for a successful building contractor and he was called in one day and the, the contractor said to him, Bob, I'm, I'm putting you in charge of, of the next house that we're going to build and I want you to order all the materials and, and oversee the whole job from the ground up. And Bob was excited by this and he, he gladly accepted. And for 10 days before any of the work was done, he studied the blueprints, he, he checked every single measurement and specification. Uh, and suddenly he had a thought, if, if I'm really in charge, why don't I cut a few corners and use less expensive materials and, and put the extra money in my pocket? So Be uh, Bob set about his scheme using second-rate wood, uh, even though he reported it as, as kind of top grade. He ordered inexpensive concrete, cheap wiring, and he cut every corner that he could think of. But he always reported that he'd purchased the, the top-end materials. Uh, and when the job was done, he asked the contractor to, to come and take a look at the house, and he agreed. And he took one look at it and he said, Bob, what a magnificent job you've done. Uh, you have been such a good and faithful builder all of, the, uh, all of these years, and I've decided to, to show you my gratitude by giving you this house uh, that you've built as a gift. Uh, and you can just imagine uh, Bob standing there full of regret. Uh, you reap what you sow. It's true a lot of the time. It's, it's often true in the Bible. Uh, but it's not always true when it comes to telling others about Jesus. Uh, sometimes the seeds of the, the message of Jesus are sown by one person, and it's not until someone else shares the message that they actually come to faith uh, in Jesus. And this morning we're, we're thinking about evangelism, uh, making Jesus known. And we see that regardless of, of what role we play, we all still have a role to play. And we're looking at a passage where we see Jesus, the evangelist, telling others the good news about who he is and what he's come to do. And as we look at uh, John chapter 4, my prayer is that we would be encouraged in this task that we've all been given uh, of making Jesus known. Uh, and I want, to ask, uh, I want us to be thinking about uh, a question this morning, and that is, what does it look like for me to reach people with the gospel this year? What does that look like? My, my family members, my friends, uh, my colleagues, my neighbourhood. Is it okay for me to just kind of sit back and wait for God to do something, or have I been given a responsibility in this? Uh, 
So those are the kind of the, the questions I have for us this morning. Uh, and John chapter 4 is a, a great place to go for answers because in this passage we come across Jesus engaged in an everyday type of conversation which proved to be absolutely life-changing. Uh, and there are some important, uh, some important lessons for us here. Uh, this morning we're going to be actually spending most of our time looking at verses 27 to 42. Uh, but it's obviously very, very closely tied to the first 26 verses. And as we think about how people come to know Jesus and uh, to trust in him, uh, John has been highlighting some important things that, that it's worth pointing out as, we've got, as we go through uh, the first four chapters. In chapter 2, the, the religious leaders at the temple ask Jesus for a sign. And he says to them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they are confused, and, and they ask, how, that, how is that possible? Because it's taken 46 years to build the temple. And Jesus, of course, was referring to his body and his, his death and resurrection, but they didn't know that. Then in chapter 3, Jesus says to a, a religious leader, Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Uh, then in today's reading, chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus says to the woman at the well, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Then later in verse 31, the disciples say to Jesus, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And the disciples say, could someone have brought him food? And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And so you have these four instances uh, quite close together where, where people don't understand Jesus. And the reason I highlight that right at the beginning is because when it comes to believing in Jesus, we need to remember that it's a spiritual thing. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, like all of those examples, we will remain blind spiritually and, and unable to respond to the truth of the good news of Jesus. And the reason for reminding us of this right at the start is because when it comes to thinking about evangelism, we can fall into that trap, can't we, of, of thinking that if we just follow the right formula or run the right outreach or say the right words, then people will believe. People will see Jesus as, as we've seen him and their lives will be transformed just as ours have. But John is reminding us in these first four chapters and, and twice in today's reading that it is God who grants people the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And it's God uh, we need to depend on as we seek to point others to Jesus because without him, there is no hope for any of us to see and believe in Jesus. So, so please bear that in mind and, and we'll come to verses uh, 27 to 42 in a moment. And because we're, we're not spending much time in the uh, verses 1 to 26, let me just give you a very brief summary. You, you heard the reading, so you, you'll know most of it. Uh, Jesus is, of course, heading back to Judea, and he has to go through Samaria, uh, which was traditionally a place that Jews had avoided traveling through. They, they would uh, willingly take the long way around, uh, the longer journey to avoid it. But not Jesus on this occasion. And uh, he ends up uh, at a well in the heat of the day, and he sits down, uh, the disciples are off looking for food, and as Jesus sits there, this, this woman, the Samaritan woman, comes to draw water, and Jesus asks for, for some water, and, and there's this wonderful interaction that takes place between them. As Jesus tells her about 
the living water he offers as he reveals that he knows about her past and as he reveals what, the, what his Father in heaven is after. True worshippers who will worship in spirit and truth. Uh, and the high point comes in, in verse 26. Uh, the woman has just said, I know Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And, and Jesus says, I, who, who, you speak, uh, who speaks to you, am he. Uh, he reveals to this woman that he is the one the prophets had spoken of years before. And just as he's done this, the, the disciples reappear. And we come to our passage. And, and we see three scenes in the passage. Uh, scene one is an invitation verses 27 to 30. Scene 2 is an explanation, verses 31 to 38. And then scene 3 is an implication, uh, verses 39 to 42. So, so scene 1, the invitation. The disciples have just returned and they've got a subway platter for lunch and there's food, every, uh, food for everyone. But that when they get back, they find Jesus talking with this woman. And notice John tells us in verse 27 that they were surprised by this. And the reason is, this, this kind of interaction was uncommon. Verse 9 says, Jews don't associate with Samaritans because Samaritans had intermarried with people in surrounding cultures. And they were a mix of cultures, and they ended up being a mix of religions. And that was problematic for a Jewish person, but not Jesus. Uh, now, the other reason for the disciples' surprise was to do with the fact that she was a woman. At the time, rabbis wouldn't speak to women. They would never teach the law of God to a woman. Uh, there's even this prayer from an old um, rabbinical writing that says, Blessed are thou, O Lord, who has not made me a woman. Uh, which, which sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Uh, that was the underlying attitude towards women, but not Jesus. He, Jesus treated women very differently. Uh, and you read the Gospels and, and you see that so clearly, don't you? Jesus restores women to that, that, that rightful place as image bearers of God, uh, something that people lost sight of ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis. And I don't think it's a coincidence that one of the first people that Jesus reveals his identity to is a woman. So the disciples are surprised, but they're not quite brave enough to, to question Jesus out loud. Uh, and the woman, having heard Jesus declare himself to be the Messiah, she decides that it's time to go. And, and she leaves her water behind. She doesn't even take that. And she heads back to her town with this invitation. She says to the people there, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Uh, and what I love about this invitation is, is the simplicity. Come and see. See for yourself. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever invited someone to, to meet Jesus like that. Uh, we might have said something like, come along to church or, or to this course about Christianity or come over for a meal or let's grab a coffee. Uh, and beneath the invitation, perhaps we've been hoping that this person would, would come and see Jesus and, and see him in the way that we've seen him. Uh, the woman is, is so direct in her approach, which we know doesn't always work, but here it does. Now, it's interesting to think uh, what the people in the town would have thought when they heard this invitation, because here was a woman who was a bit of an outcast. Uh, that, that's probably why she's at the well on her own in the heat of the day. Uh, she's not with the other woman. She's also someone who's had five husbands and, and is on to her sixth. Uh, it's hard to imagine that she would have had any kind of respectable standing among her people. And now she's calling people to come and see another man. And they're probably thinking... Is this, is this guy lucky number seven? 
Well, to our surprise, in verse 30, people respond positively to this invitation and they make their way towards Jesus. Because when God's Spirit is at work in people, even the most unexpected things can happen. Through this simple invitation, uh, people are moving closer to Jesus. And so that's scene one in the invitation. And, and in verse 31, we come to scene two and the explanation. And uh, like the passage we looked at last week, this, this middle scene helps explain the scene before and the scene after. And so we're back with the disciples, subway in hand, and uh, the fact they've gone to get food shows that they do care about Jesus, but, but they've still missed something. They say to him, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Uh, and Jesus sounds at this point like the guy who's got a, a secret stash of food somewhere that he's not going to share. Uh, and it leaves the disciples confused because someone have, have brought food for him, they say. But Jesus clears things up for them in verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In the same way that, that our food sustains us, Jesus doing the will of his father is what sustains him. And it's a reminder that, that he was no ordinary person, not like us. And he goes on, Do you not say, four months more and then harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And when it comes to harvesting crops, uh, people will wait until they're ripe, until they're ready to be eaten. And, and that's normal in many cases. Uh, we went a couple of weeks ago to p pick some blueberries and some of the berries weren't quite ready to be picked and, and you could taste it. And so you try and, you try and leave those ones and, and get the ones that are ripe. Now when the time is right, uh, and, that, and that's a reasonable thing to do when it comes to harvesting crops, you don't want to jump the gun. But when it comes to the work that Jesus has been sent to do, to share the good news, now is the time for, uh, for the harvest. He's, he's saying you don't need to wait. Open your eyes and, and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He says, stop waiting. Get on with it. Get on with harvesting. Because verse 36, even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests crops for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. And it's a little bit of a, a wake-up call, I think. Uh, one that the disciples clearly needed. And it's the kind of wake-up call that all followers of Jesus need as well. We need that reminder at times, don't we? To wake up, to, to open our eyes, to look at the fields. To not be so busy looking inwards uh, that we miss all the opportunities around us. Don't miss the people who, who need the living water that leads to eternal life. People who are lost and in need of a saviour. People whose paths we cross day after day. And it's worth saying something here because I, I suspect many of us, uh, myself included, uh, can fall into that trap of thinking four more months and, and then the harvest. Uh, we know we should be telling others about Jesus, but, but sometimes we say it's too early or I don't want to force it. There's plenty of time. I need to do some groundwork first and, and we hide behind words like pre-evangelism and we never quite get to the evangelism part. And we feel guilty and, and we're not sure how to kind of break the cycle. Uh, and I know I've felt that, that struggle many times. Uh, or maybe we're waiting for the, the perfect circumstances to fall into place. We're waiting for others to come to us. Uh, if you've ever been skiing or, or snowboarding up at Mount Hutt, uh, you'll know about the magic carpet. Uh, it's the, the beginner's slope, if you can even call it a slope. Uh, it's the place where you go when you're starting out. 
because it's relatively safe. You, you don't have to go very fast. Uh, you don't go very fast, and, and if you do fall over, it's usually pretty forgiving. And you can probably imagine uh, the majority of people on the mountain are on the other slopes. And at some point, I think people hope to graduate from the, the magic carpet to the other slopes. When it comes to, to telling others about uh, Jesus, uh, it seems like as Christians, we know people are, are all over the mountain up there, and all we have to do is, is look up and we'll see them. But we feel too comfortable on the magic carpet. We have Christian friends with us, we have our Christian groups, we have other like-minded people, and it's safe. There are few risks. And we fail to ever get round to that, that main thing, which is seeing unbelieving people come to know Jesus. We fail to get round to that. And Jesus' mission and our mission start to drift slightly apart. But to that, Jesus says, I tell you, open your eyes. Look to the fields. Uh, and like the disciples, we, we need to remember that priority. People are out there and they won't naturally end up in here. Uh, how will they hear the life-changing message of Jesus? Now, when it comes to sowing and reaping, Jesus says in verse 37, Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Now, the point he's making, when it, when it comes to the harvest, it's a team effort. Some sow and some reap. Both are to rejoice in the harvest. Uh, the thing about these verses is, is working out who he's talking about, who is sowing, who is reaping, uh, which isn't as easy as it sounds. Uh, some, some say that the sowing is referring to the work of the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, others say it's referring to John the Baptist's work in, in preparing the way for Jesus, calling people to repentance and belief, sowing the seeds that others would reap. Uh, others still say that one aspect of sowing is, is what Jesus would go on to do in defeating sin and death on the cross. Uh, and it could be any of those things, couldn't it? Uh, in, the, in the immediate context, I, I think it's talking about the sowing that, that Jesus did with this Samaritan woman. The seeds sown in his conversation with her. And then the seeds sown in her invitation to the townspeople. And now that the disciples are there, they're going to join in this labor which others have worked for. They'll end up going with Jesus and, and ministering alongside him to the Samaritan people. And regardless of, of who sowed and who reaped, the people of God can rejoice together as, as people come to share in the harvest of eternal life. And as was the case back then, it continues to be the case today, there's a sense in which every, every Christian is a result of, of seeds that have been sown. Sometimes years and years beforehand, and it's only later on that there's a harvest to be reaped. Uh, and it's a good reminder for us all, I think, where, uh, that when we sow gospel seeds, uh, when we tell others about Jesus, or when others have told us about Jesus, even if there isn't an immediate response, that work is never in vain. It can always be built upon by us and by others. And you never know when it might reap a harvest. And when that happens, when, when people come to see Jesus as he is, and they see their need for him, of course it is a reason to rejoice. No matter who did the sowing, no matter who did the reaping, we rejoice with God that more people share in this wonderful joy with us. Now on the back of the explanation, we see uh, the scene changes one final time, and in verses 
39 to 42, we, we, we briefly see the implications. And uh, we're back in the Samaritan town now, and, and wonderfully, as this woman has shared her experience about meeting Jesus, verse 39, many of the Samaritans believe in him. And they go to him and they urge him to come and stay with them. And so he does for two days. And during his time with them, in verse 41, we see, because of his words, many more became believers. And they say to the woman, we, have no, longer, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. When, when God is at work, incredible things happen. Uh, a woman with a, a checkered past met Jesus and she was so compelled by him, she felt the need to tell others. And so she did. And as a result, many more people were brought into the family of God. People who are naturally enemies of God, uh, sinners like this lady, sinners like you and I. And it's a wonderful thing that took place. Uh, one commentator writes, to convert one sinner from their way is an event of, of greater importance than the deliverance of a whole kingdom of temporal evil. Uh, and I think the point he's trying to make is that Jesus has come to save. That's what uh, John 3:16 and 17 tell us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. That is Jesus' mission. And when we align ourselves with God's mission, it's, it's the greatest thing we can do. Uh, and I want to ask you this morning, when, when was the last time that you were so compelled by the Lord Jesus, by his glory, by his saving love for you, that you felt you simply needed to tell someone about it? Have you ever felt compelled in that way? Uh, there's a philosopher named Blaise Pascal, and, and he says that there is a God-shaped void in each of us. There is a God-shaped void in each of us, and, and it's true, isn't it? Uh, people trying to fill the void in all the wrong ways. Is that what you see when you look at the fields of the people who don't know Jesus? What will you do knowing that? Will you pray? Uh, will, you, will you take time to point people to Jesus? thoughtfully, lovingly? Uh, will you take time uh, to share his words this year with great wisdom, knowing that he is, is what this world needs most? Uh, I want to finish with this poem by a man named uh, Paul Gilbert. Uh, this is what it says. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, distorted or true. So what is the gospel according to you? Uh, when people look at our lives, is our mission the same as, as that of Jesus, who wanted to do the will of his Father, who, who came to save? Uh, I pray it would be for, for us as individuals and also as a church. Amen. Uh, thank you, Joel, and for that really challenging uh, question of when is the last time that we felt so taken by the love of our God for us that we felt we need to share that with others. Uh, I hope that all our spirits be moved uh, by that desire.
and we are just going to stand sing an appropriate hymn called Facing a Task Unfinished. Please stand sing. Please bow your heads in prayer. Dear God, thank you for the week just passed, for the joys and challenges we experienced under your careful watch. As we head into the new week and the children return to school, we ask that you watch over them and keep them safe, especially those who may be anxious or worried for the new year. Please comfort them and hold them close to you and fill them with joy and hope for what the new year brings. For all of us, Lord, let us hold tightly to the fruits of the Spirit as summer starts to wind down. Help us exercise love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In particular, show us how to use forbearance gracefully. Help us to demonstrate patience, even if it is something that is owed to us. 
Give us courage to restrain ourselves if we are provoked or offended, and help us turn each interaction into an opportunity to demonstrate your character. This week, we ask for prayers for our mission partner, Jolene. Please bless her time in New Zealand and let her rest faithfully in you. We also ask your continued blessing on South Auckland Anglican Mission and for Harold Forrest. And finally, Lord, please bless the family of Joyce Widgery, who has gone to be with you. Please hold her family close during their time of grieving. In your name, amen. Uh, we're going to sing our final hymn today. Uh, it's uh, our offertory hymn. Uh, if you uh, have filled out a form for uh, joining one of the Bible groups, please just put it in the offertory bag as it's passed around. Or have I completely messed this up? Yes, I've completely messed this up. Never mind. Um, or have I not? And I was missed. That's why I missed it. Okay. Never mind. Well, if you could uh, leave your filled in forms uh, at the table if you haven't already put it in. Um, I guess I will give thanks then uh, and pray. Are we asking anyone? One more song. Okay. We'll sing one more song. Ahem. <laughs>